Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
from the gates of my heart. The veil in between was torn apart. Now you hold the keys to the grave. Cause you bring things to life. You rose stones away.
sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come.
If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. We are continuing on with this series, looking at the life of David. And uh, I said last week, David what was, is what we would consider a renaissance man. He was, a, he was somebody that was good at a lot of things, really good at a lot of things, right? He was a, a person who uh, took on giants. He was a person that led armies, led thousands. He was a, a person who, who uh, was a musician. He played for a king, right? They called him in to soothe the king. He, he was a poet. If you read a lot of the Psalms, you'll see his amazing works. Right now, that's where I'm at in my Bible reading. And, and so many of these Psalms were written by David, uh, a leader, uh, a king, a king that uh, when he was king, the nation flourished so much, it was, it was uh, thought to be Israel's golden time. But that's not what God pointed to. What God pointed to was this was a man who had a heart like his. And that's what I'm praying for all of us today. That's what we would seek. Maybe that's what we can learn through studying David. Not to have a heart like David, but to have a heart like God's. Right? That's, that's the goal. We know that from our hearts, everything flows. All our decisions flow. When we look and uh, I talked to, the, I've talked to the teens when I was a youth pastor, and they would always ask, can I do this? Can I not do that? Is it right to do this, right to do that? And they always, the answer was, what why are you doing the things? Where is this coming from? If you're doing it for revenge, no. If you're doing it for some other reason, yes. You know, it's because everything flows from our hearts. So we want to have a heart like God's. Then we'll know we're, we're moving in the right direction. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. Would you stand in honor of God's word? David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hairs, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that, there was, that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Father, we recognize this is your words. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be soft, our eyes and ears would be open, that we would be able to receive this. Lord, we pray that we would learn from this. We pray that we would be challenged by this, Lord. Let us honor your word. Let us be people who don't just listen, hear it, but listen and obey it, Lord. We love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So where are we at in the story of David? Last week we looked at King Saul, Israel's first king, and why God rejected him as king. In the next chapter, 1 Samuel 16, David, a young shepherd's boy, is anointed as the next king of Israel. And something interesting happens to him. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. It's interesting that when you read the Bible, you notice how many times the Spirit of God would come upon people and courage would be the result. Prior to Israel having a king, there were these judges that ruled that God would raise up to save the people, men and women, and the Spirit of God would come upon them. In their stories, you would see that. People like Othniel, Gideon, Samson. Gideon, who's scared, who's hiding. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And God does great things through him, through his obedience. They would step out in courage and defeat the Lord's enemies. It's not just in the Old Testament, too. It's in the New Testament as well. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, the authorities come against the disciples And they threaten them, hey, if you keep on preaching the gospel, if you keep on teaching about this Jesus Christ, we're either going to kill you or we're going to put you in prison, right? How do they respond? They gather together to pray. And what happens? The building that they're praying in is shaken. And the Holy Spirit fills them. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Paul says in 2 Timothy that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of love, one of self-control. This is important because we all face fear. Different ways to different degrees. We face fear. We can face fear every day. 
The story of David and Goliath is, is a way to look at three different aspects of courage. And I want us to see this today. I want us to look maybe in a different way than we've ever looked at this story before. And I pray that God reveals something to us today. In, in Saul and the soldiers, we see fear is lacking, or courage is lacking, excuse me. It's missing, right? In Goliath, we see a false courage. And in David, we see a true courage. Let's look at Saul and the soldiers first. In verse 32, David says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. To, to lose heart means to lose courage. In the first part of this chapter, it sets up this battle. There's the Philistine and the Israelites, and they're getting ready to go to war. They're great enemies. They've been battling before, right? Each side comes to this valley and lines up on either side of it with their battle lines. In the middle would have been this no man's land, the valley of death. This is where the battle will take place. The battle had huge implications, right? Whoever lost it would be a slave to the winner. Not only them, but their families for years to come. So you have all this weight, all this tension going on. And then all of a sudden, into this valley comes Goliath. He's an enormous tank of a man, right? He begins to bellow and shout. And we're told in verse 10, he says this, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of Israel were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, morning and night, Goliath comes out with this challenge, right? And the kings and the soldiers are terrified. If they don't meet it, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to their families and their ones that they love? They'll be slaves for the rest of their lives, most likely. And they find themselves in a place lacking courage. What is courage? David, in verse 32, tells us, let no one lose heart. He's saying, let no one's heart fail let no one fall back. Let no one fall away. In, in battle, a big key right to surviving and winning was the ability to stand your ground, not to run away. Standing and facing whatever is coming at you. One of my favorite examples of courage is found in Daniel chapter 3. You, you remember the story, right? The nation of Israel had been conquered and they had the, the king had dragged tens of thousands of people off to Babylon. The king was Nebuchadnezzar. And the king made everyone bow down and worship this idol. But there were three men. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that would not bow? So Nebuchadnezzar brings them in, brings them before them. Has this furnace, right? And he says, if you will not bow down, you'll be thrown into that furnace, Right? And the three guys respond with these incredible words. Daniel 3, 17 through 18. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's courage, right? 
That's the choice that all of us have. Sometimes on a daily basis, bow down and take the easy road, take the easy path, take the safe route right, or stand and do the right thing no matter the consequences. We all have different fears and opportunities for courage, right? Parents, we have a choice to discipline our kids and take the consequences of having our doors slammed in our faith and our kids' faces and our kids telling us that they hate us, right? Or we can just let them do what they do and take the easy road out. God calls us all at different times to join Him in what He's doing. And every time it does, if you're like me, it scares me. You want me to do what? You want me to do this? Remember Moses? God calls him to go and speak to Pharaoh. What was Moses' response? Who am I? I'm nobody. Why, why would I? I'm a shepherd. Why would I go and stand before Pharaoh? What's Pharaoh going to think? I'm a stutterer, right? I don't speak well. I'm the last person that you should be asking to do this. Frankly, I'm terrified. That's what he should have said. Or we can cut the excuses and say yes, even though we're scared. We can have courage and admit we're wrong to our brothers and sisters, right? Or we can take the easy way out and just not address things. We face everyday things that require courage often. We all have a choice to bow and take the painless way out or stand and suffer the consequences. Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, we can't bow. We won't bow, right? We believe God can save us. We all believe that, right? We believe God can save us. But even if he chooses not to, we won't bow. Cowardice wreaks havoc in our lives. When we bow once, it becomes easier and easier to develop that posture, to take the easy way out. We, we want to be comfortable, Americans. We want the comfortable life. And so it's easy for us to take the easy way out and avoid our fears. One of the worst things about cowardice, though, is that it's something that you can pass down to your kids if we're not careful. We all have been cowards. We all need courage. How do we get it? Well, here's how we don't. Let's look at Goliath, all right? Usually when we read the text, we see Goliath as a representation of our fears. Face your fears. Face Goliath. But really the fear is losing the battle. Really the fear is death or our family's enslavement or our enslavement, right? Goliath is facing that very same fear. Have you ever thought about that? But he approaches it like many of us approach it today. Go back to chapter 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Here is Goliath right? A hulk covered in bronze 
and iron. Nine feet tall. Latest armor and technology. Armor weighed somewhere between 125 to 200 pounds. He is literally a tank. He is the epitome of power. And yet he's facing the same fear that everyone there is facing. Where does his courage come from? His muscles, right? His build, his armor. Goliath, a veteran. He's got the best tech, right? He's got the bronze armor. He doesn't just have a spear. He's got a javelin. He's got a huge sword and a shield bearer. Here's where his courage comes from. Goliath has self-confidence. He's a champion after all. He's honed his skills. He's looking at David like he's nothing, right? Goliath banishes all fear with self-confidence. Look at me. I'm twice your size. You have nothing on me. You're just a boy with sticks. That's literally what he says, right? Nowhere in this text do you get the sense that Goliath has any of the slightest doubt that he's going to destroy David. There's nowhere that he's scared of any danger coming from David, right? That's his approach to courage. He sees no danger, only success. That's the world's approach. If you're an athlete and you're having trouble with your foul shooting, right? They want you to visualize success. They want you to visualize shooting it and the ball going through the hoop. They want you to do that in your mind. They want you to manage your fears by looking at yourself with confidence. Let me read you something that I got from a college center for counseling. This is talking about how to deal with fear. This is what they say. The next step involves you using your imagination in a more positive way for dealing with your fear. After you, you're relaxed, imagine yourself approaching this feared situation. It's important to get a feeling of what it's like to deal with a situation in a successful way. So for example, if you're afraid to ask a store clerk for your money back on an item, picture yourself asking for the refund calmly and getting your money back. Imagine yourself in a situation without all those terribly unpleasant consequences you've been scaring yourself with, which will probably never happen. Imagine you have already dealt with a situation in a successful way and review how you have done it. As you enjoy the feeling of mastery that comes with having dealt with successfully with a situation that has made you fearful, then you will become more confident and less fearful. After you have done these exercises several times and you begin to feel an easing of your fear, you're ready to approach the thing head on. What are they saying? Look, you can do it, right? Visualize yourself doing it. Visualize yourself being successful. Banish any thoughts that there might be any bad things that happen. Because why? Because they probably won't. Goliath is visualizing himself using everything he has and smashing this young boy before him. Goliath has banished all thoughts of fear. But as a result, he's out of touch with reality. He didn't realize that there was a danger here, right? The world is filled with bad things. We live in a broken world. The world with, is filled with terrible things that can happen. 
The goal is not to banish those fears, like that counseling site said. The site said all these terrible things you're imagining might not, probably won't happen to you, but what if they do? They can, right? The idea of banishing your fears by looking at yourself and imagining yourself being successful is really just rolling on adrenaline, right? Pump yourself up and just go for it. It's focused on the short term, but the call to be courageous is a long-term call. If you have the Goliath view, if there is no chance that you can do it, it will stop you from doing it. If you can't visualize success for something, then that means you're never going to do it. If you can't banish all your fears or lessen them, you will not step out because you see no path to win. There was a woman named Edith Evans, and she was a passenger on the Titanic, upper class, so upper class that she had a a, a spot on one of the lifeboats when the, the ship started to sink. But once she got there, there was only that one spot left, and the lady next to her had kids that were in New York. So she gave up her seat for this woman and told her to go. Where do you get the courage to do something like that when you can't visualize success, when you can't visualize a way that that works out, right? I guarantee you, Edith was not saying, I'm going to find a way to make it. I'm going to do it, right? So just go ahead. No, she resigned herself to dying. She gave up that seat, right? Those three men before the furnace resigned themselves that they might die. That's just sometimes life, right? Where do we get the courage for that? Not by banishing fear. Not by looking at yourself with confidence. No, instead, the big difference is that we need something that helps us do the right thing in spite of our fears. We need something in our life that overwhelms the fear and allows us to stand in spite of them. At the end of the Lord of the Rings book, there's this great David and Goliath type moment in it. There is a former man who is now a wraith lord, a wraith king, and he rides this giant Nazgul. If you're not familiar with it, think dragon. He's towering over the fallen king of Roham and getting ready to kill him. In his way stands a woman named Eowyn and a little hobbit named Mary. The witch king tells Eowyn this, Come not between the Nazgil and his prey, or he will not slay thee in thy turn. He will bear thee away to the houses of lamentation, beyond all darkness, where thy flesh shall be devoured and thy shriveled mind be left naked to the lidless eye. What does she do? She draws her sword and says, Do what you will, but I will hinder it if I may. Be gone. If you be not deathless for living or dark undead, I will smite ye if you touch him. Mary, the little hobbit, standing against this impossible foe, seeing her stand against this person, says this, pity filled his heart, and suddenly the slow-kindled courage awoke. He clenched his hands. She should not die so fair, so desperate, At least she should not die alone, unaided. I know it's just a story, 
But where does courage like that come from? Where do you get courage like that when you're facing death, right? When the right thing means you very possibly could die. Where do you get the courage to face that? David shows us true courage. And we read what he says in verse 45. It says this, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. People will read that account, right? And will say, there it is. There's the biblical understanding of courage. If we just have faith like David, right, then you'll have courage. If you have faith like David, your fears will be banished and you'll be able to charge on against that Goliath, right? But do you hear that? Do you hear what we're saying there? That's just a spiritualized version of of Goliath's courage. Because in the end, what's it dependent on? You. If you just have enough faith right? Enough faith to make you brave. Enough faith to banish your fears. If you just have enough faith, you'll be healed, right? You'll be set free. I think there's danger there because sometimes when we're facing Goliath, we die. Look at the martyrs. Sometimes we're going to remain sick and not be healed. David is a great example of courage. But I think you can look at this passage a little differently. Can I challenge you not to think of yourself as David? But instead, think of yourselves as one of the soldiers. Put yourself in the shoes of the one who has fear, right? Who do you resemble more? The one charging Goliath, really? Or the one who's too scared? Put yourself in the shoes of the one that if somebody doesn't save me, I'm done, right? Put yourself in the shoes that unless God sends a Savior, there's no hope. That's what God does, right? He sends a Savior. Notice these things about David. He's unlike any great hero because he's weak compared to the enemy that he's facing, right? But we know that God saves through weakness. Notice also David is a representative. He's a substitute, right? When Goliath comes out, he says, send a man to fight me and we will represent our our particular armies. We'll be a substitute for each army. Verse eight and nine, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll be our subjects and serve us. This is representational fighting which happened in ancient times. David was not just fighting for them. He was fighting as them. They were going to be treated as if they did anything that he did, right? If he wins, they all win. If he fails, fails, they all fail. David wins and his victory is imputed to them. Do you see who David points to? He points to the hero of heroes. He points to Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is a list of great heroes of the faith, including David. 
And it says, remember Abraham, right? Remember Moses, remember David. But then finally it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Don't just remember. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Pioneer from the Greek word archagost, which, is, which means literally champion. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the champion of faith. God sent the ultimate David, right? Jesus Christ. He was weak. Nothing special. He didn't save us in spite of his weakness, but through his weakness. He didn't save us from physical death like David did, but from eternal death. He didn't save us like David did at the risk of his life. He saved us at the cost of his life. If you think about it, our God is the only God who ever needed to be courageous. No other religion believes that God became human and vulnerable. Our God did. Why? He did it to save us. Here's what we need to realize. Here's how bravery comes. Not by inspiration, not I'm going to be like David, but through imputation. Everything that Jesus accomplished has been given to me. Right? I have his righteousness. Therefore, I can stand before God. I can stand in God's presence, right, if I'm in Jesus. That means that no matter what I face today, I know God has saved me. Does that magically take away our fear? No, right? We're still going to have it. But I can give up my seat on a sinking ship because my know my eternity is set. I have that hope, right? I can face death. I can stand before the furnace, whether he saves me or he doesn't from the furnace. I know he will deliver me from your hand, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Because I know he's with me. Do you remember there were four people in that furnace? I think there's a lot of us right now that God comes and calls you to something. Talk to somebody about Christ. Share your faith with your coworker, with your family member, right? Do this ministry. And what's our reaction? We're scared, right? I think we're waiting for God to take away that fear, waiting for God to banish that fear so that we can move forward, right? It's probably what we say, Lord, make us bold. Take this away so I can do this, right? Let me have enough faith so that I can move forward. No, no. The fear will be there. But we fix our eyes on the champion. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. That's what David did. He fixed his eyes on God, right? He will be with us. He was with the three men in the furnace. He's already saved us. What can anyone do to us? Kill us? Humiliate us? Yeah, but he's already conquered sin and death, right? Let's fix our eyes upon him. And not bow down to whatever we're called to bow down for. Let us stand despite 
our fears. Our fears will be there, but so will he. How do I know it's not about banishing fears? Because Jesus had fear, didn't he? In the garden, he sweat great drops of blood because he was afraid to take the cup, right? The cup of God's wrath. He asked the Father to take it away, but the cup remained. Those fears remained. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? What possibly could bring the God who has everything joy? You and me. Back into a right relationship with him. For that joy, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, you're going to face fear. It's going to happen, right? But fix your eyes on Jesus and stand against it. Do not bow down. If you do, you will develop a habit of doing that. And you will not be used by God. Nobody in the Bible that I see was just totally fearless unless the Spirit of God came on them. And if we fix our eyes on Him, we know the Holy Spirit can fill us. Right? Stand with me. There's a true source of courage and a fake one. The fake one says, I can do it. I can banish it all. I can run towards that giant, right? The real one fixes our eyes on Jesus and says, no matter what comes, I might die. I might not be healed. I might not whatever. I'm going to follow you because I know you're with me. I know you died on a cross and you saved me. And I know no one or nothing can take that away from me. That is my assurance when, my, when I fix my eyes on Jesus. What are you facing today? Some of you have death sentences. Fix your eyes upon him. Amen? Amen. Father, Lord, I know that there's serious things in here going on. And Father, I pray that each and every person, we would all be able to fix our eyes on you. Father, I think sometimes it's the little things, Lord, where we're tempted to bow down. Lord, let us not develop a habit of doing that. Father, help us to stand. Help us to remember we wrestle against principalities, Lord. But we don't wrestle alone. Remind us that you've already conquered sin and death. There is nothing the enemy can do that can ever remove us from your presence, Lord. Remind us that one day we will be reunited. 
Lord, no matter what happens on this earth. Lord, give us the strength to stand. Help us to fix our eyes on you to do it. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.